money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Narelle Hooper is author, director and one of Australia's most respected business commentators. After being at the helm of the Australian Financial Review's Boss magazine for almost six years, being the founding co-chair of the Women of Influence Awards, Narelle is now editor-in-chief of Company Director magazine and a non-executive director of the Ethics Centre. Let's, let's expect more of ourselves and mm. aspire to more. And it mm. doesn't necessarily mean, mean to be the CEO, but I often see really good women who could be the CEO who just hadn't considered that they could mm. do it. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Narelle, welcome to Telly Money. And thanks for having me. Well, we've known each other. Yeah, it's our absolute pleasure. (laughs) It's good to see you again too. And uh, Narelle, you know we've known each other for several years now and uh, so I know a lot about you and your profession, but... Use this time now to open up and tell us about you and also your career, which I know has been an impressive one. So my start in life goes back to country New South Wales. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up uh, just out of Orange on a farm Mm -hmm. and one of five kids and we all worked from day dot, I think. Um, My my dad, um, it's kind of... This part of the story is kind of relevant to where I've landed in life, so that's why I'm going sure, back and go talking about it. this. Mm. So um, we, we ran a dairy farm. Um, my dad had been brought back to run that farm because that he was the youngest and that was seen to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So he was a really bright, ideas-driven kind of guy, mm. really interested in electronics and wound up having to run a dairy farm. Mm. Uh, he married my mum, who was a maternity nurse, mm-hmm. and we... The kids grew up on the farm and then so Dad, who was irrepressible, wound up buying a pub. <laughs> oh, as you do. <laughs> on yeah. top of everything mm. else, we, we milked um, cows twice a day and we ran a pub and Mum was working night shift as a maternity mm. sister in the end. So we, I guess having five kids, you know, you've, you've, you've got to do all you can. Yeah. Free labour. That's right. <laughs> as well, though. <laughs> speaking, of, <clears throat> speaking of five kids, just out of interest, where were you in the family? Um, in the middle, child. Okay. I okay. spend the rest, most of my life trying to make sure everyone... Keeps the peace, so ah, um, yes. the kind of moderator yeah. okay. of the family. But I was the first one in my family to go to university mm-hmm. and that was uh, my game, a mm-hmm. game changer in my life. And I, I'm not quite sure where the instinct or idea for that came other than I talk a lot about ideas and things with mm. my dad. And I wound up in journalism 
um, and on the Illawarra Mercury as a cadet. And mm. through my life, subsequent to that, storytelling's been really important. Mm. And I went from Illawarra Mercury as a journalist uh, to Computer World, Business Review Weekly, and I was their correspondent for I was there for over a decade mm. as um, initially a, a writer and then a their political correspondent okay. and editor of the Rich List mm. ah, as well. So I got yes. to learn go. quite a bit about. I know the Rich List well, but I didn't realise that your name was, was attached to that. Yes, it was a very educated have. guesstimate at the time. It's yes. um, subsequently far improved, I can tell you. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I wound up going to. Uh, the ABC mm. and SBS TV and then did um, after, after university I wound up doing a master's in management and financial management and then to the financial review where I wound up being editor of Boss magazine mm. and so that's a long thread of journalism in my life but um, business journal- journalism in particular and it's because I see business core to the society and economy and I'm mm, fascinated with um, how, how the machinery of all that works and the politics and the, um, the in my mind is an idea that we can actually run uh, a better society and economy as well. So sustainable business has been really important as a kind of model in my head. Mm. Uh, and then I, I took a redundancy uh, back in 2013 when the, the media sector wasn't in a good place and then that I wound up getting involved in boards and and governance and uh, other aspects. And so I've come back in as a um, at a magazine which looks at the important role of governance in strength. This, co- this is company director magazine. That's mm. right, yeah. And educating people about the role of actually having good processes and mm. uh, in and decision making in their organization. That's it's a really key element of economic uh, prosperity mm. and a more sustainable. Mm, definitely, and you would mm. see all the time, Narelle, that when companies get into trouble, it often comes back to poor, inadequate governance in the first place. Yeah, mm. um, um, and and our very human desire to hope for the best, mm. and we're seeing quite a, a spate of well, you know, as a result of the COVID lockdown, we're going to have a large number of insolvencies come through in the next 12, 18 months. Mm. And the the message for those people is act early and don't hope for the best. Um, You've got to have some really brutal realities when you're considering your financial sustainability in your future. Mm, so true. So you've had a very rich career in the media, predominantly yeah, in, yes, yeah, you've got a big smile on your face now, I can see that, um, predominantly related to business. Mm. What do you like with money, Narelle? Uh I think of money as a tool mm-hmm. now. I I was trying to think of what my early relationship with money was and we, we had a little kind of note up on the board where we used to get marks if we behaved at home. Yeah, okay. And if you behaved well enough and you got enough ticks, then you yeah. got you got some money yeah, at the end yeah. of the week. But the um, I hope you got uh, some. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure how good I did have a piggy bank. I was a classic mm. kind of you know kid with the Commonwealth Bank. I, yeah. I had we all had our little yeah we remember um, that well the tin tin yeah. box. Mm. Um, but there's another. I think your narrative around money is really important mm. and. There's a narrative out of my family background that I, I think it's been important to how I think about things now. Mm. Um, and that was that my grandmother, um, her, so she had five kids. She was on the mm. farm and her husband died, mm. uh, leaving her with five kids, Goodness. very mm. young in his 30s. Mm. 
And in those days, um, women didn't have the same rights or mm. responsibilities in finance. Um, she was not able to get finance to keep the farm going. Really? Mm. And she wound up having to send sell part of mm. the farm just to, to make ends meet. Mm. And they were just terribly, ter- terrible times. Mm. And that's still, that was beyond, before my time, but that was still a narrative that was kind of handed down in our family about mm. being really frugal and, and just making every cent count. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I do still think of, about it. You've got money. You've got money coming in and money going out, mm. and you can let that money go out kind of frivolously. And mm. you know, there's some money for enjoying and things like that. You've, but you've got to be really mindful of that flow, ebb and flow. Mm. And I think sometimes in our lives we 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 not conscious of that. Mm. So I try to I be conscious. I, perhaps <laughs> because you came from a background that frugality almost became part of your DNA and I relate to it strongly because um, one of my grandparents, you know, they fell in love, you know, skipped away from Ireland, maybe she was pregnant, you know, and it wasn't the right thing to do in Ireland and ended up in the middle of Tasmania in the 1860s and proceeded to have 11 children um, <laughs> so um, tough, you know, is right in middle of Tasmania in, you know, 1860s, 70s, not a lot there. And oh then uh, after about the 11th child, the, my grand, great-grandfather, great-grandmother, great-great, there was a couple of greats in there, um, <laughs> he passed away. You know, he was 34 and he left her with 11 children. So I hear what you're saying. You know, it's um, there were no um, insurance premiums, you know, no ability to get um, government help in those days. And mm. so we share a common trait. Frugality kind of mm. came through my genes too. So I'm totally with you and understand that. And uh, you can go one of either ways. You could just say I've had enough of this and maybe be quite frivolous and mm. not care about money or you'd understand the value of money. I learned from my mother that money doesn't grow on trees and it's very hard to come by. So I think mm. you're saying a similar thing, Narelle. Is that right? Yeah, mm. it is. And the history of women and money, I mean, if you go back, you know, not too far back, women mm. were considered chattels yes and they didn't have rights Mm. and that famous movie the suffragette um, underscores just how powerless Mm. they were and not giving our way we you talked earlier not giving our way our power unduly Mm. um and actually taking control and being responsible for our own money and being really mindful of the future Mm. (laughs) self that you're going to be I'm thinking of, I mean, this all sounds like now I've, I sound hopefully a bit wise now, but mm. as a, you know, an 18 or a 20 year old growing up, um, I wasn't, I mean, I, I was, wasn't tight, but I was sensible. Mm. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to have the guaranteed super come in mm. um, early huge on plus. in my career. A it's huge been, plus, yeah. Left me in much better stead than I would ever be. A wonderful legacy that Paul Keating yeah. um, left to Australia, mm. um, you know, being objective, and there are probably things that people didn't like that Keating did, but certainly that that was a, a big plus for us. But um, let's go back to you. You mentioned about I talked about power, mm. and perhaps um, we could talk about that for a mm. minute. And we might say I digress, but I don't think so because <laughs> Narelle, you and I were talking um, when you first came in here about um, an article that one of our writers had written about sexually transmitted debt, and. One of the lines um, that was written was that, oh, well, nobody told me in school or no one talked about this kind of stuff at university. But 
I made the comment that perhaps women really need to learn that there's so much information available today that it's not a question of someone teaching you anymore. It's a question of you go out and learning. Mm -hmm. And I quoted a line from some research I did from that amazing woman, Oprah Winfrey. And what a success story that is, if anyone wants some inspiration, you know, rising from very, very humble times. I mean, what you and I just described as our background pales into insignificance in terms of Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's family. And, you know, her net wealth now is $3 billion, and that's all been done off her own intuition. I'm probably talking a lot more because, Narelle, you've interviewed so many people <laughs> that you've got the skill of interviewing and I maybe have the skill of talking. But to get to the point... But you have a very good interviewing skill also. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll be the judge at the end of this. But but when I was um, researching Oprah Winfrey information, she said, look, I've made mistakes in my life, particularly in my 20s, because I got into relationships with men and she said, and I gave away my power and she was talking about power generally, but I thought to myself, and she, I can't blame anybody. She said, they didn't drag it from, from me. I was in love. I was silly. I wasn't mature enough. And I willingly gave away my power. Now, in terms of sexually transmitted debt, that's when you sign documents, you know, that you have joint bank accounts, you have credit cards. And if the relationship breaks up, you could inherit that debt. But these days there's articles about that and there's information and banks make you sign documents saying that you know what you're doing. So in some ways it's women connecting with their power and not making mistakes like we perhaps used to in the past in a different time. What are your thoughts on that? I think our job is to firstly inform ourselves. And um, I mean, it's great if your parents teach you that or at school, but um, Let's say let's say we need a a, a, a core a, like a the, the real school of life kind of things that you need to know. Mm, and the mm. first one is uh, Don, the economist Don Stammer taught me oh, once, which yes. is the power of compounding. Yeah, right? and that yes. works both uh, ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and um, that you've you've got there is no fairy story. There is not going to be a prince, as I, mm. you know, I read in my fairy stories when I was, you know, 12 or whatever, the, mm. the prince would come along and you, you'd get married or mm. cohabit and, you know, all your problems would be taken away. Mm. Um, it very rarely happens mm. and the odds don't work in your favour on no, that. So don't. forget mm. that one. Mm. Um, so what's the, the shortest um, curve between you and, and success? It's mm. actually to take control of um, the information, get mm. as much information as you can and take control of of the elements in your life that you can control mm, and mm. make those work for you. Mm. And I think often, it, I mean, it's a romantic notion that we're going to um, partner up with someone and, you know, we'll work together because a partnership like you and Peter, it's mm. a, that's a really powerful mm. um, key to success in your life. Mm. You can get a partnership where you're supporting each other. Mm. But apart, as we're seeing with a lot of the... Um, family violence statistics coming out now, um, financial control is, is another lever of family violence. Huge. And it's coming out mm. hugely. And mm. people, you know, the idea that you get married and, um, you know, you either sign over control and don't know what's going mm. on with your finances. Um, there are people, you know, people I know who are now sorting themselves out but have had... Uh, an undue element of control in their life mm. so that they just they don't know where the money goes they mm. don't know what their partner's doing with it mm. they've got no um confidence about mm. that because the the narrative that kind of is conveyed around that is that oh you're you know 
leave that to me. Mm. You know, it's too complicated mm. for you. And, I mean, that makes me think about a, a few of the narratives that we have as um, – and I, I don't know if this is a gender thing or not, but one is um, money's too complicated. It's mm. like I can't understand it. I was never very good at maths. Mm. It's mm-hmm. kind of the thing. Mm. Um, and the other one is, again, it's – um, oh, it's you know it's a bit grubby to talk about it, mm. um, and yet uh, trillions of dollars get circulated around our economy. Um, women are great at purchasing, mm. at, you know they're the, the decision makers as we mm. hear so often. Mm. Um, so why would not we take that power mm. to ourselves and mm. actually just be really sensible mm. about it? The same way you'd be sensible about getting the right pair of shoes for the mm. right occasion. That's right, exactly. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, if I hear a, a couple of cases that I'm familiar with were one friend who had no idea about the super, you know, the, the relationship split up, the super disappeared mm. um, and she was left not even a, you know, worried about putting food on the, you know, in the kids' lunchbox or, um, you know, whether they had a, a you know, school uniform to take to school that mm. it's a hard message in that instance to absorb or even you know someone else I know who found that has found a relationship really difficult but didn't felt that they had no financial wherewithal with all to go and to leave mm. um, and deal with that kind of level of violence so it's a it's a very real challenge in people's lives and mm. it's that makes it hard but I think my sense out of that is that finding someone to reach out to to actually help you know get you those steps if you're in a difficult situation mm, like that mm. um but then I also come back to well, what's one of the most important lessons in your life which is the partnership that you you develop mm-hmm. um you know and your life partner is really important and that should be someone that uh, supports and empowers you mm-hmm. doesn't uh, make you feel vulnerable mm-hmm I, I agree and from what I'm hearing as well, um, what I take from that, Narelle, is that there are different people in society that are trapped in circumstances that does become like a vicious cycle. And for me, just to say you shouldn't have given away your power in the first place, they're in such a cycle of um, disadvantage, poverty, um, you know, domestic violence that could fall is a very hard line that I'm saying but then there are women who are quite free with money you know you know they're not in those difficult situations but at the same time they possibly still see a man as a financial plan mm. and they they're not they're not they're I not remember that um, there was a book called that a man yeah. is not a financial plan mm. and I at the time I got copies and gave them out to mm. relatives because I think it's that's a really um, important lesson in your life. Mm. Like, I, like to me it sounds really odd now to even think that way. But, yes. Uh, what's your own financial plan? Mm. And and um, around that, that you're, you're thinking in terms of I think we our, our, our current self and our future self, we struggle with that that gap mm. very often and we do, this happens on a variety psychologically on a variety of fronts on you know dealing with issues like climate change and, mm. and so forth which is that we uh, overestimate the value of something today mm. discount something in the future mm. when in fact a small uh, contribution today could make a massive mm. uh, impact mm. on our future mm. so it's, it's kind of being aware of those different um, 
our psychological state and mm. how that can play against us planning mm. for the future because mm. you can have you can be very generous and have good luck and so forth but um good planning mm. underpins uh success oh without a oh, doubt and as you're yeah. saying and that <laughs> being a person that's kind of involved in money day mm. in day out when you said that a, a small bit of planning now can make a massive difference, I straight away go to the topic of superannuation. Mm. And then I go to Don Stammer and he, <laughs> his drive to yeah. tell you about compound interest because this is another thing that due to the Keating legacy that mm. we all benefit now from having superannuation and how important it is to know about things like superannuation because – I've seen charts where you can put away $2,000 um, into a super fund when you're in your early 20s and let's imagine that you never put another penny into it and by the time you're 65, you've got a half a million dollars. I mean, that's a very, very simple example mm. but that shows you Don's um, you know, religious zeal about compound interest and it also goes back to that a little bit put away now mm. can make a massive difference to your life down the track when you are in those grey-haired days um, <laughs> and you want to access your super or you can legally access it. So mm. I can relate anything back to a money topic, Narelle. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's get on to more about you and, mm. um, and in terms of based on your previous comments and the fact that you've written a book on it, um, you're clearly very passionate about working women and female leadership. What was the catalyst for this passion, apart from the fact that you're an amazing woman yourself? <laughs> um, I, I never set out to write a book. I, I never mm. thought. I thought there were plenty of books in the world to be written. And the title uh, of the book is? And the title of the book is, and I have a copy here, it's it New Women, New Men, mm. New Economy, mm. How Creativity, Openness, Diversity and Equity Are Driving Prosperity Now. Mm. And back in, uh, well, this starts at a, a nightclub, actually. Yeah, this is sounding really interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Le lean in. <laughs> this is going to be a good story. Hmm. Um, I'd ran, uh, was at a nightclub um, one night in Sydney uh, with my husband, Tony, and I ran into a, a mutual friend. And there I met Rodan Jenoff and okay. his wife, Susan Pettifer. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. And Rodan is my co-author mm. and Susan is his wife and she's the head of people and information at the City of Sydney. Okay. And Rodan has been doing work for, for many years on fantastic, they call it clusters, where you bring together government, private sector and, and universities and um, drive innovation and okay. new products and mm. ideas. And he's always had a... Um, uh, and mindset, being a kind of good migrant kid, mm -hmm. he's always had a, um, a with a strong mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's always go. had a lens about um, to get the best. You've got to have um, fifty kind of fifty fifty men and women involved, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's how you get the create the environment that drives creativity, that mm -hmm. drives innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and Roden had has been doing work in Denmark and Sweden on circular economy, so sustainable clean and clean technology. Mm. Um, and and this, this extends to like forestry and manufacturing and mining and so forth. So we'd just been talking about some of these ideas and um, we kind of got together and kicked, uh, we thought, well, it's time to have a, a, a new narrative, which is there'd been a lot of coverage um, around the the kind of, 
I guess the, the, the gender is a problem um, and, you know, why aren't there more women in leadership? And, mm. and I'd seen over the decades reporting on business that there'd been ebbs and flows mm. of women's participation at the top of organisations. And we stepped back and went, well, if you look at the research, um, the research actually under, um, supports, so this is, we went right, did a whole uh, assessment of the Evidence and the evidence um, supports having more women in leadership that mm. drives innovation. Um, I think it's London School of Economics um, shows that about sixty percent women is a good kind of proportion to mm. create the psychological safety to let everyone share their ideas and, mm. and so forth. So we wanted to pull together the in a positive way, in a, po a positive narrative, the research and just lay the evidence on the table and create around that a sense of optimism. Mm. And um, we'd also joined some dots on some things and could see that the economy was shifting and, yes, it's technology and, yes, it needs to be sustainable and so forth. Mm. But there's a fundamental pr principle of fairness um, and that that you, that's required in order for good, strong performance-based cultures to sustain. Mm. And I think that's that very often wasn't understood or it wasn't widely discussed in the literature except traditionally kind of from that more um, kind of left-wing mm. political context. Um, but there's a, there was a more positive mainstream narrative around this. So we looked around the world. I, I went off to meet um, a foundation in the UK that um, a, a woman sailor had been around the world and when she, mm. she got off the, the ship, she realised that she lived on a boat with hardly any resources for a period of time and she said imagine if our planet could do that mm. and um, she's been working for over a decade now to mm. with engineers and consultants and schools and and universities to create the kind of embed this that sustainable mo model in creating new products and mm. services as well mm. so there's a, a big thread of kind of new ideas and mm. and innovation happening from that so with the book we decided we'd pull it together and we found that there are organizations that were um, already walking the talk on this um, and it, there are a number of qualities they needed to have um, in order to drive it so it wasn't just enough every you, you hear every organization saying, well, we've got a policy that we mm. want women to succeed and we mm. and we support women's initiatives, um, but how is it being led at the top mm. and what's been done in, term, in terms of the internal policies and, and actual behaviours uh, as well as the external, um, so aligning that internal and external mm. narrative and, and actions as well. And there are... Well, we looked at the male champions of change, so here is a bunch of CEOs who are actually driving it through their organisation. And then and this has been – this kind of captured um, a, a time when the globe could go two ways. Um, we could, with borders closing, we could look inwards and authoritarian and, and be fear-driven. But this kind of more open, consensus-driven, collaborative approach is what's going to drive a more – a vibrant and prosperous economy at a time that we're going to really have to rethink mm. um, the role of business in society. Mm. So that's a slightly long-winded way of telling you about this book, but we spent um, a couple of years researching it mm. and then it wasn't until we connected with the, um, the Advanced Global Network of Australians that they, they said, well, we'd like to launch your book at the Opera House. Mm. Mm, <laughs> so we wrote mm. it in about four months. Yeah, and, well, thank, uh, thank God you're a great writer, a great journal. <laughs> <Yeah>. Big <laughs> but, skill there, but, skill advantage. And, mm. uh, and we looked at a mature 
maturity um, model. Mm. So Susan, who's done a lot of work on leadership, looked mm. at um, organisations are at different levels of maturity mm. at different elements of those of what we called the code for mm. the new economy, mm. which is the creativity and the openness. Mm. And Narelle, you've interviewed over equity. your time. The book sounds mm. fascinating and for anyone listening, it's New Women, New Men and New Economy. But you've interviewed um, over your time. It's been a very rich career and now with company director. You've had a lot to do with leaders. What makes a good leader? Well, there's been lots of books written mm. on that. Mm. <laughs> um, but from the talks that you've had and the, the, the people you've sp- spoken to, the articles you've written, are there key yeah. standout characteristics? And are they gender? Are they gender-based or it's just human-based? Uh, it's human-based. Uh, I think we, we wasted a lot of years thinking that um, that a an ideal leader looks a certain way and if you'll, you know some of the research from out of the US, um, tall men are overrepresented mm. in CEO positions in the Fortune 500 and it's nothing to, related mm. to height at mm. all. Um, and the, the qualities, uh, I think, I mean, it's people that get things done and bring people along with them. Mm. Uh, and... There is, there is a body of research that people who've had some adverse experiences early in their life, there was some work out of Queensland University that, that showed that they they seem to make good CEOs as well. There is, I think we're hearing phrases um, and qualities now described which were different. I think now the qualities of good leader are requiring some other skills these days and empathy and awareness that your legacy lives beyond this month's performance or this year's performance of the company is an increasingly important element in mm. that. We've got to be stewards now. Mm. Um, it might have been fine to have had um, a strong financial performance as, as your main KPI, mm. but given that we've got some big challenges in society to deal with, those leaders need to be really mindful of the shadow or the legacy that they're leaving mm. behind. I think we've come through a period of history where the qualities that um, may, you know, meant someone got to the top mm. or, you know, they were celebrated as leaders um, were almost sociopathic um, disconnection with mm. humans, mm-hmm. um, a, a real focus on the numbers on the spreadsheet mm. and... Um, and their own remuneration. Yes. Mm. And and there's the... the the great arc of uh, economic kind of theory that that underpins that, you know, we got to diversified portfolio theory, which was helpful for a period of time, but um, that form of capitalism, which really focused first on shareholder returns, mm. not thinking about the longer returns mm. to shareholders and, and society, um, that's a real flaw in the glass and we, we're just coming... I think through a number of situations now we're starting to see that arc shift mm. and we, we, the planet can't afford it. Um, the people that we destroy on the way through can't afford mm. it because it has real impact on not just employees but the communities that we operate in and, you know, you see companies pull out of communities or offshore things because it's cheaper and then mm. they say, well, look, sorry, you weren't cheap enough. Mm. Um, and we're seeing now with some of the disruption out of COVID-19, mm. that's all coming home to roost mm. because you've there's a description about fragile globalism mm. that's resulted when everything was just in time and, mm. you know, we've tried to kind of extract the uh, to the nth degree the 
the cost on the cost line, mm. and it's the knock-on effects of that are quite profound and 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 create fragile communities as mm. well. So there's a lot of work to recover. There's, I think the awareness of that, and um, we've seen some statements come out of a, um, a number of business organisations over the last 18 months on this that um, a form of shareholder capitalism that really values the stewardship over the long term is where we've got to go. Mm. Um, walking the talk on that is, of course, the big challenge and we're not seeing – we're seeing that by some some companies but um, it's it's still not discussed widely in the in the share market by the, the you know, the, the analysts who are doing the commentating. Mm. They're still very much focused on performance for shareholders mm. and like now because we're all in super, we've, we're all shareholders as well. So yeah, totally <laughs> we've got a number of lenses mm. that we've got to bring to it. But mm. um, there is a reckoning that's coming because there's been a, a tremendous amount of um, resources kind of wasted and community mm. damage. And having just uh, travelled in New South Wales and seeing the in regional Australia that um, some of those communities are coming back after drought, but mm. the the level of um, investment in those communities has been you know really low. Mm. They don't they don't have a lot of investment. Um, human capital's left. You know the the communities have been left quite impoverished, mm. and um, and I think the we need a bit. Um, there's a policy element that needs to be dealt now um, with that now, particularly as we can re- work remotely mm. um, more often. So mm. perhaps Millthorpe or Orange or um, mm. Grenfell or somewhere yes. might be a, a better place for someone to be. Who yes, knows? yes, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and still contribute productively. Yes, most people maybe think, "Oh, I'll never be in shares, or I don't have any super," but they are directly involved in the share market because of their super and what you're saying about awareness of um, corporate behavior about you know sustainability even corporate governance you should if you have got a view that you want to live on a sustainable planet you also need to be in touch with your super because you could have money invested in companies that are doing the exact opposite yeah have you come across information like that oh absolutely Mm. um and i had a uh, so Australia now has, you know, give or take, um, you know, 100 mil, $2.3 trillion mm. or less $32 billion, dollars, you know, yeah. some, um, early access to super that's um, been deducted from that. So there's around $2 trillion mm. um, of, of money, in, of assets in superannuation. Now for, is it 11 million working Australians? Mm. Uh, we all have a stake in our future. Mm. Um, we... Often, like, like you know, if you're someone who's just coming into the workforce, and you really can't see the relevance, um, you know, for something that you're not, probably not going to get access to, mm. COVID notwithstanding, until later in yes. life. Mm. But it's um, you have a direct um, role in that, and and you can make yourself really noisy mm. and really. Um, you can do your own j- job by agitating with your mm. super fund. I've because um, uh, I reported on the initial super guarantee. Um, mm, did the, you? The, mm. Yeah, the introduction of um, super guarantee when I was in Parliament House in Canberra. Mm. I was a very young journalist. Mm. I had no idea that we were using figures at the time of saying eventually there'd be a trillion dollars mm. in this, and now mm, now it you is know, rolling yeah. on even mm. further. It's massive. Mm. Uh, I had my money in a, a couple of funds for a period of time and then I just started, at some point I got aware and mm. I started um, initially, I got on um, my colleague um, who is the tobacco-free investing mm. people were, were raising issues around 
well, do you, you know, is your fund investing mm. in tobacco? And I didn't mm. know. So mm. I started asking Media mm. Super where mm. I was invested. I uh, couldn't initially get an answer mm. on that. And then eventually I just thought, hang on a minute. I had a kind of light bulb moment. Mm. I I don't like what I'm hearing. There's mm. just, it was very complacent. Mm. So I took my money and I put it in an ethical fund. Mm. And, and then... And I sleep better at night, mm. and it's the funds performed no better. No, you know, mm. it, you know, it's not top of the pops, but it's nowhere near the bottom as well. Mm. And I sleep better and at night. And it sits well with what your values are. Yeah, mm. and that, and uh, there's an increasing number of funds are actually paying heed to that. Mm. Um, but I, I also email them, and I. Um, you know, wherever I get a chance, I raise it and, you know, email the chief investment officer mm. of your fund, mm. find, you know, find out who it is and mm. contact them, ask the question mm. and and just make yourself aware because it's like every decision you make as a consumer, mm. whether you're going to the supermarket or, mm. you you know, you've got your keep cup or your takeaway mm. cup or whatever, um, you're exercising um, an action that can have a knock-on effect. Totally. So, so you see yeah, it all the time in supermarkets. It's not super- that hard, actually. No, <laughs> when you see it all the time in supermarkets, it's your health yep. conscious. You check the cans and see what preservatives are in there. You know, <laughs> so if you transfer that to your super statement, yep. you know, just check out what that's involved in. And, and another rule of thumb I have um, is do I really need the thing I'm about to buy, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So the lipstick that I think I want which I'm investing in less, I might have I have to make that point post-COVID, mm. you know, I'm not going to the hairdresser so often, yes, <laughs> saving yes. money, not buying lipstick or yeah. jewellery or that. Just, mm. Do you really need that lipstick? Mm. Do you Will those, that pair of shoes really change your life? Mm. Will that dress, you know, in a week or two weeks or six mm. months next year? Is that going to stand the test of time? Mm. Mm. And I, that sounds a bit killjoy, but we have so many clothes sitting in our wardrobes that mm. we just don't use mm. and then they, you know, they have to get thrown out or whatever. And then, you know, we've seen that that work by um, Craig Roikersell about, mm. you know, the pile of old clothes sitting around oh, and yes, teacups yeah. and things like that. Mm. So it, it, doesn't have to, it doesn't mean you have to wear a hair shirt. You mm. just kind of stop and ask yourself a, a couple of questions mm. like that. Is, And you talked about putting, you know, if you could scramble up $2,000 and put that mm. in your fund. Mm. Well, if you add up the amount that you might spend on a lipstick, what, mm. you know, it might cost you, what, 20 bucks or, I don't know, two cup, three cups of coffee or something. Yeah, that's right, exactly. It's um, amazing the money do, that we yeah. waste and then... To go back to Don again, Don Stammer is that that money's wasted and not benefiting from compound yeah. interest, and so. you're not going to remember it in a week, totally. or two weeks. So mm. it's just it is just stopping and, and mm. thinking, not getting. And you're so probably taken a little less hyped from having so much coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Narelle, who were the key women over your time, or what were their their strengths that you admired? You know, oh gosh, who you are today is a product of many things, and some of them I would imagine are the influences. Um, of people that you've either physically mixed with or they could have been virtual through books or knowing oh, their life gosh. story. Mm. Look, um, and doing the – when I was at the Financial Review I um, with Catherine Fox, mm. um, the founding co-chairs of the Women of Influence mm. Awards, uh, and that started – we started that in 2012. Now, that that was a product of a, a bloke, Brett mm. Cleek, and mm. Jane Council from mm. Westpac. Um and subsequent to that, um, Catherine and I got on board and we, you know, they had this idea that if we could celebrate, I don't know, 100 women every mm. year who were uh, exercising their influence mm. and changing, you know, or impacting the world around them, creating more a vibrant Australia, mm. wouldn't that be a wonderful mm. thing? Mm. Um, so roll on seven years 
six, seven years. There's, mm. you know, several hundred of those mm. women out there it's and wonderful. they're amazing. So mm. um, if I start at my own, like my you know, my two grandmothers, because they were both, like my grandmother was 80 and she was still climbing the roof doing, you know, doing her own repairs. Mm. And my um, other grandmother who wound up running the farm for years and years, mm. um, my mum who just worked, she's still with us, but who just worked incredibly hard and um, I learned about that, about not, about speaking up, mm. speaking up, not being quiet mm. about things is really important. Um, oh gosh, those wonderful women of influence. You, you take someone like uh, Fee Shewing, who founded the Supporting and Linking Trades Women mm. movement in Australia, because they found, um, you know, we often think about educating our uh, our daughters. Mm. Um, how many of us think about a trade could mm. be a really good thing because you earn great money mm. in a trade, um, but it's pretty hostile place for young mm. women wanting to a well funnily you say that because there's an article in the fin review this morning about that very topic yeah. you know that very few women in the yeah. trade still and where does a young woman go mm. who maybe want to do that for role models oh well mm. um go to salt.org.au okay. and mm. you'll get great support but that mm. just changing again that narrative mm. that we don't see many of you know we don't see many women mm. in trades and i i got to be part of their conference last year and mm. we had 130 women from trades right across from mm, telecommunications tower mm. technicians to mm. carpenters and mm. I'm not sure we had a plumber because you can never find a good plumber <laughs> when you need. But like that movement by, by Fee, who, mm. who she, they, they educate kids in schools and, mm. and not just the girls, the because we've got to educate both men and women, yes. boys and girls, yes. on on this. So someone like her, someone like Andrea Mason, who uh, ran the uh, a council up in Kimberley, who talks about this wonderful about us learning from Indigenous the, the kind of tempo of Indigenous governance, where mm. we bring people together. Mm. Um, I got to meet Gloria Steinem on a panel yeah. with the mm. City of Sydney uh, mm. about four years ago. And then I went and read her book and she was so, like, her story about um, being a nomad uh, on account of her upbringing and then how she drove that whole, you know, Ms. Magazine and mm. uh, the initiatives that she's driven. She's mm. so impressive and she's still For anyone vibrant. listening who might be interested, do you recall the name of the book or we can... Um, that was her biography. Mm, right, but, okay, great. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm. like, oh. you know, this 80-something-year-old mm. yeah. woman on the, the Supreme judge. Court mm. in the US mm. who's just um, – the people I admire, the women and men I admire, they just – I mean, there is a, there's a tendency in corporate life to, you know, get look after yourself and you mm. get there and just kind of make sure there's – you know, that – period during your mid-career is really it's quite risky because there's a lot to lose mm. um and the people who have the courage and the kind of effort to just keep supporting and pushing the agenda mm. and um not putting your head down and not being passive i i've always admire those people because mm. it's tough right mm. it's just the all the incentives are to go to go with the flow and keep your mm. head down and don't make an you know don't make a farce and mm. all the rest of it but if we all just do that, nothing will change. Mm. So it takes a huge amount of courage. Mm. Um, Elizabeth Broderick, when she was Sex Discrimination mm. Commissioner, um, she and Catherine Fox and I ran a, a roundtable on why things were – the numbers were going back. This is like goes back 12 years ago now. Um, and then there were a bunch of good men and women who got around the table and just kind of voiced the question, where are the women? Mm. And – asking the question and then be, like being that kind of 
the connectors and the the listening to people's stories and to kind of really hearing them out because everyone's got a different perspective on that and often we we don't feel like we're being heard mm. and in order to change society and a situation um, people need to be heard and because we can often imagine we know what's really going on but the truth is very often what's the old saying the terrain is different to the map so what actually happens on on a day-to-day and on the ground and people's motivations is Mm. complex Mm. in a way so true um (laughs) it's been wonderful talking to you and i've got still got a few questions and one of them is going to be i mentioned um oprah talking to her younger self Mm. and you know saying basically, you know, you shouldn't have given up that control, you shouldn't have given up that power. And what would you say to a younger Narelle Hooper <laughs> if, Narelle, if she'd listen? <laughs> yes, would she listen would is a very good listen, question, yes. first of all. Um, so reflecting on that, I think, do you really need that dress? Mm. <laughs> okay. Do you really need mm-hmm. it? Is it really going to change mm-hmm. your life? Mm-hmm. Um, if not, put your money or your credit card back mm-hmm. in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Who you choose as your life partner is really important and you need to find a partnership. And I think that's – I've got a partnership in my life that's been wonderfully mm-hmm. supportive and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, be aware of the politics because a couple of times I haven't in my life and kind of bulldoze through and kind of then you realise what was really going on. Mm-hmm. So stop – just be aware of actually – uh, the political context of what you're operating in. There's a way to get things done, mm. but just being aware that things are often more charged than you realise, and mm. um, just stepping back and kind of holding fire and, mm. until the right time is important. Mm. Mm. And oh, there's one other piece of information which in my mm. life. Um, when you're in a salary negotiation, yeah. <laughs> never name the, the money first. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so and true. My, yeah. my first experience yeah. um, in a job was, uh, and I kind of yeah. went in with stars in my eyes and they said, so yeah. what would you like to, to be paid? And I went, yeah. oh, yeah. X. And yeah. actually they would have paid much y. more. <laughs> yes, yeah, so true. So thank yeah. God I, I managed to get a three-month review clause. But yeah. that was, you could, yeah. That's one of the most important lessons. So true. Look, I never spent – I'm a solicitor, um, as you know, and I never spent a lot of time in the law, but I certainly spent a lot of time in negotiation. And the big key thing is really what you're saying is that you don't speak first. You know, basically in a negotiation, it's a really strong thing that I tell, you know, my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my friends is that say nothing, you know, or say very, very little. The the key to a negotiation is that you get the other party talking, you know, so by you saying (laughs) X, you know, if only only you could have just held back, you know, that younger Narelle Hooper, you know, so, but I'm sure now... You don't say anything. Well, I didn't. I only made that mistake once. once and that's all you have to do, you know. In that. Second time you might, but don't make it a third yeah. time. You know, that's our advice, I think, to all women listening out there, Narelle. Mm. And look, the other thing, because I don't know what it was about me that, like, education was the magic source for mm. me. And my parents sacrificed a lot for that. Um, so that, just that continuous education and like I, I went, I don't know, twenty years ago and learned to be a yoga teacher, oh, wow. and that so See, that I taught me that yeah. <laughs> that um, just my first yoga class mm. was transformative for mm. me because understanding yourself mm. and the narrative that um, shapes your yeah. decisions, mm. and and also a way of you know de-stressing and mm. tuning out at the right times, really focusing mm. has been really valuable to me. But mm. 
That notion of aspiring for more, because I see a lot of low expectations and mm-hmm. um, I don't know what it was about me. Secret source, just add water. It was education. Um, but for someone else who just that kind of aspiration, I'd like us to think, you know, we let's let's expect more of ourselves and mm. aspire to more and it mm. doesn't necessarily mean, mean to be the ceo but i often see really good women who could be the ceo who just hadn't considered that they could mm. do it so i'd like i'd like those aspirations to be higher and mm. and to speak up more but mm. be um aware of how you do it and get back up you don't want to be the one person out there and turn around. There's no one behind you. No, so no, building true. building uh, support networks yeah. is really very been helpful. Very important as well. <clears throat> do you ever have a hinkering, or do you ever hear the call to go back to the farm? Oh, the interesting thing about the shutdown mm. is it's changed our in so many ways our connection, our a number of uh, aspects about our lives and. Genevieve Bell, the anthropologist who is at ANU, she's on the on the board of the Commonwealth Bank, gave a really good uh, financial review uh, talk on this, and she talked about where it's been such a shock to the to everybody, mm. right? Uh, collective, it's a liminal time we're in, so it means we're in the time between times. Mm. And she talks about how the six areas that our relationships with ourselves. Um, our sense of time and space, mm. uh, our relationships with um, kind of intermediation with, you know, goods and services and how we get things done, all that's shifted. We don't quite know what the shape of that's going to be, where that's going to land, mm. but it suddenly changes. It starts you to ask different questions like, for example, what is work? Mm. Where, where do we do it? What's my sense of identity? Mm. Um, we're going to have a a couple of generations now who are going to be this is going to be a long slow haul um in many ways we're going to have to get back to some of the frugality and the the kind of community mindedness that mm. helps support us during some of those terrible times you know in the in the depression and oh, so forth and post-war recovery with world war one world yeah. war two all of those times and people have had them before yeah. it's just that for the last 30 years or yeah. 40 years or maybe even a little bit yeah. longer than that maybe from the 1960s yeah. most people have seen good times and reasonable levels of opulence and we've been able to borrow mm-hmm. um that's not something that i've lost sight of either that mm-hmm. our capacity to borrow has been really easy mm-hmm. now you know, if you were in the credit squeeze in the 70s or, you know, the recession we had to have. And mm, I yes. still remember driving down backwards and forwards to Canberra and all those empty mm-hmm. um, industrial sites and shop fronts mm. and, and things. And um, getting through this shock is going to take us to come together as communities. And and I think that's going to prompt us to rethink uh, what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, I did. I went back out to the country and it ah. felt really good mm-hmm. being out there. Mm-hmm. And then you uh, you see communities that just need if we can bring more of that human capital into those areas and and some infrastructure and investment and a digital lens mm. in terms of their uh, economic development, mm. um, we can be in we can come out of this in a much better frame. And I think we should use that opportunity of this what do they call it a discontinuity mm. to um, to try to land in a better place. And um, that's going to take the best of us. 
and our kind of intellect and heart mm-hmm. in, in so a way true, to come Nirvana. together. So true. Well, you may or may not take the call uh, to <laughs> I'll, go I'll back to the know. farm. Yeah, please let us know. But I certainly it's been wonderful talking to you and I certainly hope you're, you take our call to come and talk to us again on Tilly Money. Thank you so much. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.